Hello, I'm Steve Davis. Welcome to this podcast for Australia's National Centre for Vocational Education Research. Industry currency and professional obsolescence are about the competence of an individual to perform their job. In the report, Industry Currency and Professional Obsolescence, What Can Industry Tell Us?, researchers have identified how workers in the plumbing, hairdressing and printing industries, as well as professionals in the science, engineering, human resources and health sectors, have maintained their industry currency or prevented professional obsolescence. One of the researchers behind this report is Berwyn Clayton from Victoria University. Berwyn, you present the findings through two lenses in this report, the industrial and the professional, and let's perhaps take one of them at a time. Um, Starting with trades, what are the common strategies used by employers to keep tradespeople current with new technology and the changing ways of working in various industry sectors? The 22 employers that were kind enough to give us information in this study were fairly clear about the things that they thought uh, allowed people to keep up to date. And they were things that they were employing themselves. And I think this is an important issue to make in presenting this research, that if it works for industry, it should perhaps also work for vet trainers. The sorts of things that they felt provided them with good value were trade events, events where their particular industry were testing and presenting new ideas. They read trade magazines, and there are many of them, They undertake online research these days because there's a plethora of material that is readily available to them. They are active in industry networks, they're members of industry associations, and they do take on board the opportunity to learn through training that's provided by product manufacturers and vendors who are selling equipment in the particular industry. Inevitably, uh, these employers said that they rated that sort of learning really valuable and that certainly kept them up to speed with the new and emerging technologies that were coming into being. Also they also they undertook short courses and they acknowledged that post-trade training was also a critical issue. And was much of this grassroots led or or, uh, foisted upon workers by by management? Well the majority of the employers we spoke to were fairly small establishment so they took it on themselves to develop their own schools. This was generally um, at the behest of a new project, a new job that had to be done and they had to learn skills to meet client needs, uh, to use particular technology, therefore they considered they need to upskill. Generally it was done on the job and inevitably it was done in work teams where three or four people may get together to learn a new technique, to work their way through how they might do things differently. And most often it was on the job and very much work-related learning that took place. If we flip over to the other lens now, what strategies are used by leading-edge organisations to keep professional people up to speed with new knowledge and skills? Well, of course, with professionals, there is uh, um, some imperative for them to maintain their professional status by being a member of an association. But in the nine organisations that we spoke to, the learning and development managers emphasised the importance of, I suppose, providing a healthy organisational climate that 
that actually sent the message that keeping current was a critical and expected activity for all of their employees. And what they tended to do was provide um, formal training, formal qualifications, access to study leave, those sorts of things. But at the same time, they very much placed emphasis on what could be learned at work, what could be learned within the work team, and how they could reorganise work to allow learning to occur as a natural part of it. Therefore, you saw things like mentoring and coaching. Um, one person put it nicely that we allow people to rub shoulders with experts so that they get an opportunity to learn from others who are more skilled, more experienced. At the same time, um, learning was very much collaborative. Sharing of knowledge was a critical issue. In fact, some of them ran quite large weekly affairs which allowed people to come and share new knowledge, talk about their projects, talk about the learning so that others could learn from that process. If I turn our attention now to a recent position paper by the National Skills Standards Council, uh, there was a reference to the VET workforce along the lines that maintaining the currency of vocational skills of its trainers, teachers, assessors is a challenge. And in fact, the report quotes the Productivity Commission, which said, despite a long-standing recognition of the central role of industry currency in quality VET delivery, it does not appear to be well-researched or understood with evidence of currency gaps in the current workforce. Now, there's a number of things for us to talk about here. Perhaps can we start? How important is industry currency for practitioners in the VET sector? It's critical. The qualifications that are being issued uh, need to be of the highest quality. Uh, and VET practitioners who do not have current knowledge of industry put those qualifications in jeopardy. Industry is demanding that we produce people ready to work and suitable for positions in a range of occupations and organisations. Without currency, uh, without quality teaching, which is underpinned by industry currency, uh, I believe all of that is in jeopardy. With your knowledge of the vet sector, and looking at the research you've just undertaken, have you got any ideas why some vet practitioners may well be lagging in these areas? I believe there are a number of issues. Firstly, uh, we do have an ageing workforce, and that can be a benefit. I don't want to give the impression that that's uh, just something that is a negative. But many people have trained quite a long time ago and the skills that they learnt in those times have now, to some extent, faded or eroded. And new and emerging ways of working, particularly in the area of technology, means that gaps open up between what was learnt and what now is needed. So that is one of the critical issues. The other is, I think, also, it's a personal thing. Um, it's not only up to the organisation to ensure that people are given the opportunity to upskill, but individuals must also choose to upskill and make sure uh, that their skills are appropriate for the units of competency they are teaching. They need to network closely with industry so that they can understand what changes have occurred in order to realign themselves. I think another issue is also there's a lack of funding. There's very little funding for professional development. People must grab it where they can and with limited resources, it certainly is 
insufficient to sustain what is a very large workforce. There were some references of some strategies to adopt within this position paper uh, by the National Skills Standards Council, but I wonder, what do you think? What, What sort of things can vet practitioners do to stay current within their fields? And the other side of that question, how might they demonstrate that to the market? Well, I... To answer that question, I think there are two there are two issues. The, the, the impetus must also be for the organisation as well as individuals. So if I can tackle it from an organisational perspective, to keep people current requires organisers, organisations are quite strategic in their thinking and planning about how they upskill people. Obviously not all trainers and assessors need to constantly refresh their skills but rather it needs to be those who are responsible for implementing innovations which uh, support the introduction of new technology, a new training package, or where there is client demand for change. From an individual's point of view, I think it is an acceptance that it is part of the job, that maintenance of currency is the business, as it is in the professions, constantly upgrade, work out how and where you might access opportunities to learn, and not just assume that your organisation will do it for it, it for you. It's, it's, it's a team effort here, organisation and individual. But again, it's about linking with industry, informally and formally, being members of an industry association, networking, attending trade fairs, etc. Including some placement? Industry placement is is uh, an interesting activity and from the employers in our study uh, it is clearly evident that they're not particularly fond of it. I think one of the issues about return to industry is it's very difficult for industry to organise, it's sometimes disruptive and it's not always possible to find opportunities to stop the machines, stop the haircutting to explain new processes and strategies. So I think um, from an employer perspective, they'd rather come and talk to people than have them in the workplace. But it very much depends on whether it can be structured to suit the individual needs and it is not disruptive of industry. Do you think there's much to be said for the fact that in some vet organisations, a large number of the the trainers, assessors work part-time as opposed to someone who's full-time hairdressing or or working full-time as a human resources consultant? Well, the challenge there is if the part-time um, trainers are actually still in industry. That's wonderful. They can maintain their currency. The trick for the organisation, of course, is to encourage them to come and share their ideas with those who are full-time and less likely to be able to access industry information, knowledge and new technologies that might be emerging. And Berwyn, are there any obvious things that spring to your mind that would enable vet organisations to demonstrate to their sectors that they are maintaining currency? Um, that's an interesting question because quite clearly we, we will need to provide evidence to those who audit organisations. I think um, it's best to understand what currency might look like in practice before we can actually report against it. So I'd be interested to to have a much better definition of what industry currency might look like in practice. In summing up then... There's a lot of work ahead of us in the vet sector. Is it right to say the responsibility does not lay directly at the feet of individuals within the sector alone or of the organisations there, but it's shared in some way or shape? 
Yes, Steve, I think that that is true. It is really a it has to be a partnership. And it's a partnership that requires individuals to accept their responsibility and for organisations to acknowledge that they have one as well. I think um, one of the critical issues is perhaps to not talk about individuals when you're talking about currency, but instead to talk about work teams. Because I think it's much easier to maintain a work team's currency across an industry than it is with individuals. And maybe that's a clue about... Uh, how organisations might manage this process. It's not a matter of everybody being absolutely up to speed. It is a means of having someone there who can share it with others. But all have to accept responsibility. That's part of being a professional and it's part of being a vet practitioner is to maintain your technical currency and to be seen by industry as a valid trainer in what is now you know, an essential area. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by the National Centre for Vocational Education Research. If you'd like to download Industry Currency and Professional Obsolescence, What Can Industry Tell Us? Visit our website, www.ncver.edu.au.